Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you are well. And I want to begin this week a very special reading. Many people are asking, what do we tell our children about Santa Claus? Uh, How do we explain St. Nicholas? How much do we let them watch what's on TV with uh, Santa Claus all over the place? What should we do? And I mentioned this once before. It's a book, and it's called The Man Who Was Really Santa Claus. The Man Who Was Really Santa Claus It's by the Reverend Daniel A. Lord, S.J., published by Refuge of Sinners, an imprimatur of 1954. And I thought it would be wonderful for us to read uh, together, um, because I know you're not all going to be able to get this little book. It's a perfect time for us to read this. So let me begin, and then we'll take your emails and texts. The Man Who Was Really Santa Claus, and it begins this way. Along with the yearly arrival, and you know, let me, I always interrupt myself. Um, What you could do with your family is gather around um, the fireplace or someplace in your den or living room, and you could play the podcasts at night, um, replay them so that your family could hear the story, if you wish. Story time. Okay, here goes. Along with the yearly arrival of that gracious old fellow named Santa Claus comes the variety of arguments which he excites. Daddy, tell me the truth. Is there really a Santa Claus? Or isn't it a bad thing to tell children that a myth is a fact? Won't they, once they have lost their faith in Santa, lose their faith in great realities like God? Or here's another one. Santa Claus is an imposter and an impertinent old intruder. He has thrust himself between Christ and Christ's own birthday, taking honor that belongs to the infant Savior. He is pagan, and Christmas belongs to Christianity and to Christ, end quote. So, while Santa Claus, uh, to the delight of the children, and the shopkeepers continues to drive his reindeers, one of them recently afflicted with a nose red from a continuous cold too much uh, cold or too much eggnog, he has become a figure of controversy as well as a figure of fun, a center of storm as well as a center of joy and laughter. Someone who, while he makes a great many people very happy, makes a few people very angry indeed. The truth is, reverting to the questions above, I think we'll find the answers are quite simple. Yes, indeed, my children, there is a real person named Santa Claus. Why shouldn't a person believe in Santa Claus all his life? He is real and a very real friend of God's. Imposter? No, indeed. His birthday is celebrated on December 6th. Pagan? Certainly not. He was a faithful follower of the Savior 
who lived and died in his service and in an effective devotion, effective devotion to those Jesus loves. Banish him? Banish Santa Claus? Why? No one could possibly fit better into Christmas, into the Christmas scene. Denounce him? On the contrary, explain who he really is and return to him his proper clothes and dignified name and let him once more take his proper place in Christmas celebrations to the joy of children and the delight of all good men and women. Here, beloved, is the real Santa. The real Santa, listen to this, is a Catholic bishop, Saint Nicholas. So Saint Sancta, uh, meaning Saint, Holy Saint Sancta, and Nicholas, Santa Claus. Saint Nicholas, whose name was given to more churches than almost any saint in the calendar and to more boys than any saint other than an apostle. He really lived. He loved his fellow men with an aboundingly joyous devotion. He actually did the things which are now ascribed to Santa Claus. Indeed, Santa Claus is just a nickname for St. Nicholas. And in great sections of Christendom, for centuries, even to the present day, when the Christmas season rolls around in his own proper vestments and given his correct name, he is still awaited by the children, still is believed to ride his steed and bring his gifts and fill the world with Christmas laughter, still is one of the most joyous figures ever given for the happiness of mankind. Anyone who doubts the power of poetry does not know the story of the verses we now call "'Twas the Night Before Christmas.'" Everyone knows the poem itself. Come Christmas, it is read to millions of children. It has become part of our imperishable literature, not because it is great poetry, but because it painted a series of scenes that can never be forgotten. Actually, it changed the customs of an entire world. When Clement Seymour wrote those immortal lines, for the delight of his own children, he conjured up a figure that had never been seen before. He didn't know the big thing he was doing. All he intended to do was to write some sparkling verses about Christmas and a very real person by the name of St. Nicholas. So he called his famous poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas. What he did was turn a great Catholic bishop into the gay and gallant earth traveler, jolly and fat, laughing and generous, clad in a costume utterly different from the vestments he had always worn, and driving not the gray horse or white ass of ancient tradition, but his spanking tandems of reindeers. Up to that moment, there really was no Santa Claus, as we now see him, laughing down at us from shop windows and lampposts and chimney places and the eaves of residences and the front of great buildings. In England, Dickens never bothered to mention Santa Claus for the quite simple reason that in Protestant England, Father Christmas was the giver of Christmas gifts. Catholic Europe had not heard of Santa Claus, but it knew St. Nicholas 
very well and loved him tenderly. It was left for the young United States, scarcely half a century old, to transform the Catholic bishop into a figure in furs and red jerkin, high boots, and tanselled hat. His bag remained the same. His journeying was it as it always had been. The children regarded him in the same expectancy they had long felt for St. Nicholas. And the author of the verses, in a kind of transition from the old to the new, called his soon-to-be-accepted visitor by his old name, St. Nicholas, even though he sometimes slyly abbreviated that to St. Nick and dressed him as henceforth he would be dressed whenever Christmas came. It was a strange transfiguration. Here was a metamorphosis going on right before relatively modern eyes. Ovid would have watched it with delight. Again and again in the course of history, pagan figures had been supplanted by Christian ones as the demigods of pagandom have placed to the Christian saints. For once, a Christian saint went slightly into eclipse while a laughing old semi-pagan stole his name, his Christmas assignment, the affection of children, and invited him to retire. I think it's time that we invite St. Nicholas back into his proper place. He is the real Santa Claus, and he has stepped aside much too long. Back in the days when the church had first emerged from the catacombs, Nicholas was Bishop of Myrna in Asia Minor. During the 11th century, his body was translated to Bari in Italy, so he is known to distinguish him from other saints of the same name of St. Nicholas of Bari, B-A-R-I. We shall tell his story as we go along. Enough here to say that he was devoted to children. Bishop though he was, he had an ample generosity that overflowed toward everyone. As a rich young man, he followed the orders which another rich young man had failed to heed in our Lord's day and gave what he had to the poor and followed the Savior. It's, I tell you, this is, there's some beautiful illustrations in here. Here is St. Nicholas right there. How do we, how do, we do that? I'm backwards here. St. Nicholas coming with mitre as he delivered the gifts to the children. Dressed in his bishop's cope with mitre and stole. From very early times, though he rested peacefully in the grave while his soul knew the triumphs of a confessor in heaven, people remembered this very good friend. Throughout Catholic Europe, <clears throat> the coming of winter meant the coming of St. Nicholas. Children from infancy were told of his generosity. At his feast on December 6th, as his feast on December 6th drew near, they were wide-eyed with wonder as they heard the beloved story. Quote, This is the time of year when St. Nicholas will return. He will come dressed in his bishop's cope and mitre and stole, he will carry his crozier, 
and he will also carry a huge sack that will be filled for good children with fruits and sweetmeats and delicious cakes. But he will ask the elders, who has been good and who has been bad? And while he will have gifts for the good children, he will carry a whip to switch the bad. Oh, worse, they will find that he comes and goes and leaves them no presents if they have misbehaved. So for a thousand years and more children, a thousand years and more children have been asking, when will St. Nicholas come? How many more days must I wait? They waited expectantly for the sound of horses' hoofs outside the castle or the cottage. They spread out aprons to catch his gifts or set bowls in the place to put their shoes where he could find and fill them. They were promised his gifts if they obeyed their parents and were threatened with his displeasure if they were naughty. St. Nicholas will know who has been good and who has been bad. He has lovely things for the good and nothing but a lash of the whip for the badly behaved. Only, as I say, this happened for centuries, not on Christmas Day, but on the Feast of St. Nicholas, December 6th. For centuries, in Catholic Europe, which means the whole of Christendom, since there was as yet no Protestant religion, so this was early before the 15th-16th century, Christmas was strictly that, Christ's Mass, Christmas, Christ's Mass, the Mass of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day was reserved for religious celebration. Nothing got between the people and their joy that Christ came to give himself, the infant King and Savior, for the joy and redemption of mankind. The day was not deflected from its attention to the star, the crib, Holy Communion, Mass itself. St. Francis of Assisi in the 13th century would add the delight of the living crib, which later would be decorated with fresh green cut from the evergreen forests of Middle Europe. But presents were given on the feast of St. Nicholas, December 6th, not on Christmas. Indeed, that remains true to some extent today. Some of my young Jesuit friends were surprised and taken aback by the first Christmas they spent in a German seminary located in Holland. The day began with a magnificent celebration of the three masses in the chapel. But though there were no classes, the day was marked only with a little extra recreation and a slightly better-than-ordinary dinner, though through which they sat in surprised silence while one of their number delivered from the refectory pulpit from the refectory pulpit a christmas sermon christmas day belonged strictly to christ the newborn king and to religious observance the tendency of the church has always been to preserve if possible all pleasant traditions and to reform unwholesome customs and bring them into line with Christmas ways of life. The Greek and the Romans had welcomed the winter season with special kinds of celebration. 
Then were held the great Saturnalia, as the father of the gods was given for a brief time the place which had been usurped from him by his son Zeus or Jove or Jupiter. The winter season meant a time of gifts and gaiety, marking the start of the new year. So the church, little by little, assembled around Christmas. The pagan customs that were in themselves harmless, feasting, gifts, generous gaiety. As later on it would assemble into the Christmas scene, the Christmas tree of the Teutonic tribes, the mistletoe and holly beloved by the Druids. And in the end, St. Nicholas moved closer to Christmas Day itself. You see, now most of us living today grew up with Christmas. Not everyone even knows or celebrates St. Nicholas on December 6th. But Christmas is filled with all these things collected from all customs of the world, some pagan and made holy, um, gifts, all of that. It is easy to find clear records in literature and history of the affection everyone felt for the dear old bishop, St. Nicholas. His gifts always had a way of appearing in the most unexpected fashion. His gifts came floating down the flue of chimneys, and children spread out their aprons to catch them. Or the gifts were found accidentally in old corners, odd corners of the house. Sometimes, as the children sat in eager anticipation, the house door opened, and the gifts came rolling in across the floor. Often a knock at the door meant the arrival of the bishop himself, all dressed in his pontificals, a heavy white beard covering his face, his head crowned with a mitre, in a little dramatic scene that reminded them, no doubt, of the bishop who came for their confirmation. He stood the children before him, quizzing them on their conduct, making the elders, um, asking the elders if the reports were true, listening while they said their prayers, and nodding his approval or shaking the small whip which he unfailingly carried. Sometimes he came on the vigil of his feast, December 5th. In that case, the presents which arrived next day were in proportion to the reports he had received the evening before. That the voice was the voice of Uncle Peter, or the hands were surprisingly like, let's say, young cousin John's, no more disillusioned the children than to do than do the giveaway elements under the transparent disguise of a modern Santa Claus. They wanted to believe, and they believed. If he came after they had retired, they left food and drink for him, which was always gone in the morning. And in a day when the traveler's horse was supremely important, they were much interested in the steed he rode. Since little shoes hardly held enough, enough hay for a hungry horse or mule, they took to filling their stockings with hay for the horse. And when the hay had been emptied out and eaten by the steed, St. Nicholas filled the emptied stockings with his gifts. A waggish St. Nicholas might even produce some dramatic effects. On rising in the morning, the children of the castle were likely to find the living room in considerable disarray. St. Nicholas had evidently ridden his steed 
right into the house. And as he was busy with the gifts, his horse, in holiday high spirits, had cavorted around a bit, knocking over furniture, ah, scattering hay, and even perhaps leaving behind a horseshoe for souvenir. Europe in those days was filled at Christmas time with St. Nicholas cakes and cookies, special Christmas goodies, goodies, we have them still, cut in the figure of the saint. When today we see children biting a head off Santa Claus in hard-spiced pastry, they are following the example of the boys and girls of long centuries. Only these were called St. Nicholas cookies. And if our figure of Santa Claus is everywhere in our Christmas decorations, the figure of St. Nicholas was in shop windows, in the manors and mansions, the farmers' cottages, and the city dwellers' houses of those other lands and other times. Some of them, like ours, were even life-sized. Here's another illustration with St. Nicholas in the window. Can you see that? Not easy to see. This is truly a wonderful book. You should get it, beloved, and sit down with your family and read it. I have a few extra here, not too many. I don't even know if we have as many as a dozen. So if you're not able to find it, um, you can, as long as we have them, we'll send them to you. But again, we have very, very few, um, 70 pages. Okay, now. Um, we have little verses still recited that were written by the children and propped up against the, ba- the bowls and shoes and boxes left to hold the gifts. With a little note, please, St. Nicholas, leave here what you please and think is dear. Let me start that again. Please, St. Nicholas, leave here what you please and think is dear. Fruit and cake and candy sweet, children love you know to eat. And then it continues. To add to the excitement of this coming, of his coming, St. Nicholas often brought along a boogeyman as companion. He was a weird comic figure, calculated to give the children precisely the titillating titillating shudder they loved, flamboyant horns, fiery eyes, a swishing tail that thrust out of his ridiculous suit of patched clothing. Excuse me and a long red tongue that lolled from his hideous mouth. When I saw the John Canoe Christmas troops in Jamaica, I found that this figure, a villainous companion of St. Nicholas, was one of the leading dancers. He was dressed almost exactly as he is described in the Middle Ages. The Jamaicans might have forgotten St. Nicholas for Santa Claus. They had remembered and retained his hideously comic associate. It is very easy to see how the name St. Nicholas became Santa Claus. The steps were easy. St. Nicholas in Latin is Sanctus Nicolaus. Sanctus in Latin, Sanctus Nicolaus. The name was soon abbreviated to Sanctus Claus, and that in turn to Santa Claus or Santa Claus. In Switzerland, St. Nicholas is called Sammy Klaus. In Amsterdam, you find him called Sinterklaus. 
How about Kris Kringle? Once on a time, that was a common enough term for Santa Claus, almost a synonym. The steps here derive from the titles of the Savior. Listen, Christ child, and in the Teutonic tongue was Christ kinges, or Christ kindle, only a step away, step away from Chris Kringle. The best-known fact in the history of George Washington never happened as we now know. There was never any cutting down of a cherry tree. The best-known character in Swiss history never existed. William Tell did not shoot the apple off the head of his son because there never was a William Tell. Legend supplied the cherry tree, William Tell, the apple, and his son. Now, there was a very real St. Nicholas. I am glad to report He was a genuine, historical, and well-authenticated person. When the Italian merchants carried his body from Myrna in Asia Minor to Bari out of danger from the Muslim invaders who desecrated Christian monuments, he was long a famous figure in the Eastern and the Western churches. The Emperor Justinian had built a church to him in 430 in Constantinople. More churches were named for him in England than for anyone except Christ and Mary. Boys across the world were called Nicholas in a score of varied languages. Beloved, it's very faint in the background, but I think I hear the music for our break. And so we shall come back right after the break. The program today is pre-recorded, dear ones. It's fresh and it's for you. but you won't be able to call in today, but you certainly can email uh, at motheratthestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. Has a review ever helped you decide if you'll download a particular app or not? Help others decide on our apps. If you appreciate our iCatholic Radio and iCatholic Music mobile apps, please rate and review. From the app menu, just touch Rate Our App. If you don't have our apps yet, they're available for Android and Apple mobile devices. Thank you for considering leaving a rating and review for iCatholic Radio and iCatholic Music. The Station of the Cross invites you to join us each day for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The Liturgy of the Hours is the daily prayer of the Church and is made up of readings from sacred scripture, writings from saints and theologians, and small reflections. For details about each hour and more information about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. We hope you'll join us for this daily prayer of the Church each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on The Station of the Cross. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the Internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out 
at lifesitenews.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. And I'm about to take your emails. We cannot take your live calls today but I will certainly take your emails. And we have the first one from Melinda, who writes, Dear Mother, I just found your YouTube channel recently and loved listening to you. I'm struggling really bad right now. I am a contemplative, found this prayer life all on my own, and believe I am led by our Lord Jesus Christ. I am a confirmed Catholic. Just finding you, your YouTube channel, along with the United States Grace Force, are asking for prayer. This is the prayer concerning the four exorcists who are asking us to pray on December 6th. Of course, now that's past December 6th. Asking us to pray the rosary, the sacred heart of Jesus, etc., do reparation, attend mass, etc. Yes, and we, we spoke about that, and that actually fell on St. Nicholas Day on Friday. I feel like I am being attacked because I shared this information on Facebook. I know Jesus was also persecuted, but like yourselves, I believe what is happening in the world, and we need prayer right now. It's really nothing specific, just like I am being baited. Of course, I'm not, I I can't know really what you're saying, dear one, because um, I don't know who you shared it with on Facebook. Uh, if, If you could have simply did what I did and just printed the article out or posted the article from National Catholic Register, and and you wouldn't be attacked. The register could be. Um, I'm not sure what do you mean when you say you're being baited. She says, I feel attacked, and any words of wisdom would help. I feel like if they don't like what I posted, they can scroll on. Please pray for me, and any words of wisdom would strengthen me right now. They bash Catholics so bad. They call us pagan idol worshipers, etc., it's those people who are not Catholic who bash the most. Thank you. Uh, any help, words of wisdom is appreciated. Well, um, I would say that you shared with the wrong people, Melinda. This is for Catholics. Uh, this was to share among Catholics that they should offer a day of reparation and prayer and go to Mass and fast and pray to the Sacred Heart. This isn't for the world in general. This is for Catholics. So if you're speaking about non-Catholics, I wouldn't expect anything other from them. They don't believe it. They don't have the faith. And um, it would actually be, um, Jesus said, be careful, don't you know, throw your words before swine. If, I, I'm not calling the people swine, but uh, if, if we have a holy mission to pray, it's the family of God as as the Catholic Church. That's what we need to do. And if you're putting it on a, a website or Facebook that goes all over and it's not addressed to Catholics, then um, then you shouldn't be disturbed by what you get back because you need to simply pray for those people if they don't have the faith. Um, 
Okay. Um, we have an anonymous text um, with the question, what does the Catholic Church about teach about masturbation? Uh, this person says, I am celibate 10 years. I'm single and wonder if this is a sin on my part. It's definitely a sin, and it's a grave sin. It's not venial. It's a grave sin. Uh, the sexual act in any form is never self-pleasing. It is always to give yourself to the beloved within marriage. That's the only legitimate um, sexual pleasure we are to, to have, to give ourselves to one another in marriage and nothing else, not pleasing ourselves outside of marriage and not even pleasing ourselves within marriage. Um, the marriage act is holy and beautiful and what God has given for us. And anything else, whether you're married or not, is gravely sinful. And you need to go to confession for that. We have an email from Katie who writes, Dear Mother, a local parish is hosting a Taze prayer and songs event. What is that? And is it something in which Catholics could participate? Sincerely, Katie. Taze, T-A-I-Z-E, I believe was actually begun by Catholics. Um, it's turned out to be quite ecumenical where Christians and non-Christians can all come together and be praying the same thing. I, I've i been a part of a Taze um, worship service, as they call it. I find it disturbing because there are many denominations praying together, and of course the Catholic Church is the true church, true church, it's not a denomination, many, many people coming together in an ecumenical effort, which has been very meaningful for many, many people. So I won't talk against it. I personally find it uncomfortable because um, we pray the same thing, but we don't all believe and mean the same thing. So um, I would not go to that myself, but I wouldn't tell anyone that it's wrong to go to, at least in my knowledge. We have a, a question on Facebook from, uh, it looks like, Jafat, Dear Mother Miriam, now that we know the intention of the Pope, wow, I'm going to read this, beloved. I do not believe what this person has written. He says, dear, but he's not alone. That's why I'll read it. Now that we know the intention of the Pope is to lure us into communism, actions that might lead us to hell, do we have a chance of reverting the decision? What would be our roles as parents? What is our part of the reversion? When do we start? Thank you. You start as parents from the moment you take your vows at the altar to raise your children in the faith. And when the mother is pregnant, you sing to your child and talk to your child then, and you begin as parents to raise your children in the true faith and never depart from it. And that's your role. That's your role. It has not been stated that the intention of the Pope is to lure us into communism, uh, with actions that might lead us to hell. We may have certain conclusions from what's going on, but uh, that can't be as stated as an, act as an accurate statement. Um, 
it doesn't matter, uh, Jafet. We need to, our roles as parents is our roles as Catholics. We need to raise our children in the faith. We need to live our faith. We need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do we have a chance of reverting the Pope's decision? That's not for us to do, that's up to God. Whatever the Pope does is up to God. Our responsibility is to pray for him and to live the faith in everything we do and in everything we don't do. Our role as parents are no different now than if we had a saint as a Holy Father. It's no different. It is to live our faith and to raise our children to be in the world and not of it. Okay, beloved, there's the music for our second break. We'll be right back, and we'll be back to take more of your emails. God bless you. We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, and we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustain Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustain life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations thank you for helping to save the culture. Is there a program you heard at a particular time that you'd like to learn more about, but you don't know the title or how to find it? Our online programming grid offers a complete list of shows. Just visit thestationofthecross.com and click the Programs tab at the top of the page. Here you'll find a link to our programming schedule. That's at thestationofthecross.com. Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern for Sermons for Everyday Living. There's no better way to start your day than with spiritual formation from inspiring priests as they preach the gospel in the midst of your busy life. For details about upcoming episodes and for podcasts of past shows, visit thestationofthecross.com and click on Sermons for Everyday Living under the Programs tab. That's Sermons for Everyday Living, weekdays 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. This is our last segment. You are certainly welcome to email at mother at the station of the cross.com and or leave a question on Facebook, Mother Miriam Live. That, that's good also. Um, we have a, a, a question here uh, from Lisa from Facebook, and she says, Oh, Mother, 
I've been confronted with many people over the years who won't allow conversation if it involves thoughts contrary to theirs. In these times, it is worse than ever. What do we do? Thank you for all you do. I am praying the Holy Rosary every day as Our Lady has asked. Blessings of God be with us all. Well, Lisa, uh, the best way to have a conversation is not simply to make known what we think, but to enter other people's thoughts, to enter their thoughts in their lives. Um, and this way, if you think have thoughts that are contrary to theirs, you could at least clarify what they're saying so they know that you hear them. You're not just waiting to give your counter to that. They know that you're involved. They know you respect what they're saying. And at some point you can say, well, you know, as a Catholic, I realize you don't believe this, but as a Catholic, I or we believe such and such, you know, then you're not attacking them. You're saying, you know, our faith teaches us this. And um, and they can say, well, I don't believe that. And you could say, well, I, I realize you're not Catholic, so I understand it. But at least there's some dialogue there, and you're able to make a point for them to think about. Always, always enter the other person's conversation. So you're just not uh, having an argument, but you are having more of a dialogue to find maybe a shred of truth in what they're saying. You say, you could, they make a statement, I, I'm not thinking of one at the moment, and you could say, well, you know, that's a good point. Um, we believe also that, you see, and you're not necessarily countering them all the time. We have a, a, a question here from Katie, also from Facebook. Katie says, why does it say in the Gospel regarding St. Joseph, quote, and he knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son, end quote, Matthew 125. I believe totally in the Immaculate Conception, though this excerpt suggests otherwise any comments. Actually, Katie, it does not suggest otherwise. We're talking about two, two different things. Um, Mary brought, first her, brought forth her firstborn son has to do with the birth of Jesus. The Immaculate Conception has to do with the conception of Mary in St. Anne's womb, in her mother's womb, completely different. But if you mean the virgin birth, uh, Joseph knew Mary not until she brought forth her, for, uh, forth her firstborn born son. And maybe what you're saying is you believe in the virgin birth, which is true. Uh, Jesus was born from a, vir a virgin, and the fact that Joseph knew her not until she brought forth her firstborn son does not mean he knew her intimately after she brought forth Jesus. The word until means up to that point. It doesn't mean that it happened after. In the Old Testament, uh, King David had many wives, and one of his wives was Michal. And the scriptures say, and, and Michal did what did not please God. And so to punish her, the scripture says, and Michal did not have any children until she died. Well, now, there's the word until, the same word. She certainly didn't have children after she died. It means up until that point. We have a question from Brian also on Facebook. Uh, good morning, Mother. Does Jesus view it as selfish if I pray for physical health? I am awaiting an organ transplant but feel conflicted. On one hand, I am not challenging God's will for me 
while on the other, knowing or hoping a person must die to save me. Thank you for listening. No, 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 no. It's not selfish. Brian, whoever will donate their organ wanted to do that. That's very voluntary. Voluntary. And they're saying and signing their paper that when they die, whether it's today or whether it's in 10 years from now, they want to donate their organs. So that's fine. You're not asking someone to die to give you an organ. You're, you're meeting someone's desire that when they die, their organ will be used to give life. It's not selfish at all. And if you're waiting for an organ, you're not praying that someone dies. You're praying for God's will in the whole thing, in the life of, the, of whoever it is, and in your own life. It's absolutely not selfish. It's a good thing. Just pray always, Lord, not my will but thine be done. And pray for the person who would die. Um, uh, pray for them that they will have given their life to God prior to their death and received last rites. We have a question from Vicki, also from Facebook. She says, I am a retired RN who had to work and raise two boys as a single parent. During this time, I was a Protestant. My boys were baptized and both have Jesus in their heart. I converted to the Catholic faith in 2005 when I married my cradle Catholic man in the church. I have two grand boys who go to public schools. They are being raised Protestant. My hope is that they learn from their parents and grandparents about free choice and use faith and morals and virtues and use the Bible to make right and good choices. I pray for my family's salvation to heaven. Is there any other advice that you could give for me and the parents of my grand boys? Well, um, to live the faith, uh, not only as if it's true, Vicki, but uh, if it's your whole life, um, with zeal, with excitement, with faithfulness in what you do and what you don't do, in your speech, in your, the modesty of your dress, in your faithfulness to Mass, and all of that, and let the children see that. Let them see your example, and if your children don't follow it, the grandchildren probably might. You probably have more of an effect on them that you could know. So um, speak of the true faith whenever you can. Uh, enter it into conversations. This Christmas season is the greatest time of all to speak of the Virgin Mary uh, and her birth of the God-man. It's the greatest time of all. Um, and, um, and the whole season of Christmas, which in the Protestant world is basically a day. And then, you know, Christmas lights are on the whole month of December. Then Christmas happens and the next day the lights are out and people get depressed. So we know that as a Catholic, Christmas begins Christmas Eve after the preparation of Advent. Christmas does not begin before Christmas Eve. I wish there were no um, babies in the manger on church lawns and lawns in the homes and stores before Christmas Eve. There shouldn't be the baby in the manger because he hasn't come yet. I wish all the lights wouldn't be on until Christmas Eve. And then we have the entire month of January, really, till February 2nd, which is Candle Mass, 
when the light of the world has come. Um, and so our Christmas lasts uh, the whole month. It starts Christmas Eve, and it lasts till February 2nd, Candlemas, when there's a procession for the light of the world. When Simeon recognizes the baby Jesus brought by Mary and Joseph uh, in the temple uh, for the purification, and Simeon takes that baby in his arms and says, I can die now. Now I've seen thy salvation, which thou, O Lord, hast prepared before all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to thy people Israel. That is the end of the Christmas season. To some people, it's John the Baptist. To others, it's Epiphany on January 6th. To us here at the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, and to many, it is what it used to be at Candlemas on February 2nd, which is the presentation of the Lord in the temple with Simeon. It's absolutely glorious. And so you could bring that rich, rich history, which is all Scripture, all Scripture from the Gospel of Luke, um, into your family and it's and extend that and it's truly truly beautiful so I would just say live your faith as much as you can without countering anything you can bring truth and beauty into it we have an email from Cindy who says hi mother I'm writing to ask your opinion on whether or not God has a plan for my life the answer is yes Cindy before I even read the rest of your email the answer is yes She says, I have heard Protestants and some fellow Catholics state that God has a plan for each individual's life, but I'm having a hard time understanding that because it seems almost like predestination. Can I get your opinion? It's not predestination, Cindy. It's nothing that eliminates our free will. The Protestant pamphlet, God Loves You and Has a Plan for Your Life, is straight out of the mouths of the early church fathers who were Catholic. Um, There's nothing true that does not come from our Catholic faith. Um, So yes, God has a plan for your life, and for every one of our lives, he plans for us to be holy. He plans for us to give our lives away, to be like him, um, and to spread the gospel now. Whether he has it, there's two vocations, either marriage or religious life or priesthood for men. That's it. Those two, I do not believe God calls people to a single life, although if someone is not married and they don't uh, understand their call to uh, the single life, or rather religious life, they're going to live a single life, um, and they'll live within God's will because we're fallen and everything is not as it would otherwise have been. But um, no, God has a plan, and his plan, dear one, is for you to love him. His plan for all of us is our sanctification. Uh, Second Thessalonians, Paul wrote, this is God's will concerning you in Christ Jesus. So it's not wondering if you should be a nurse or a doctor or a veterinarian or anything like that. That's not the idea of God's will. God's will for our life is that we are called to live for him, to give our lives away, uh, either in marriage or religious life and to be accountable in that way. If we're married, we are accountable to our spouse. Um, If we're in religious life, we're accountable to our superior. And if we're single, I would urge any single person to at least enter the consecrated life of some form, whether they are a consecrated virgin 
or a missionary of some kind that's under the bishop directly or some form of authority. It's very, very important that we be under some form of authority. So, Cindy, if you're living your life fully for God and you're in the world and not of it, um, St. Augustine has summed up the whole of the Christian life in this way. Love God and do what you will. Love God and do what you will, because if you love God, you're not going to live a life of sin, and you're going to be able to trust the desires of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding. The proverb says, in all your ways acknowledge him. He'll give you the desires of your heart. He will make your path straight, and you'll be able to trust your desires. If your delight is in him, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll put them in there, and he will work them out. And working out your salvation is a matter of working out what God has worked in, all that is good and holy. Follow him, live the gifts he's given you, and he will lead you. He will lead you to the full manner of your vocation. He will not fail. It's impossible to seek God and for him not to to lead you. The thing is to don't just don't sit and wake and wait for him to show you. Um I think it was Abraham's servant Gehazi who went to find a wife for Isaac and he said, How am I going to find a wife? I don't among these people that I don't even know. How am I going to do it? And then he said, As I was in the way the Lord led me. Just be in the way. Be faithful, pray, get a spiritual director, grow in your life. Live your gifts that God has given you, whatever they are. They could be carpentry. They could be writing. They could be cooking. They could be anything. Live those gifts and reach out to the poor and to others. God will not fail to lead you. Okay. Um, Let me see now. Uh, We have an email from somebody who writes it anonymously. I don't know if we'll be able to get to the whole thing before the end of the program. Let me start. Hi, Mother. I hope you are enjoying this season. You mean a lot to me. I see you as my mother, really. My own mother left. Anyway, thank you for your efforts. Well, whoever you are, dear Anonymous One, that means a lot to me. So I really appreciate it. And what I'm going to do, dear one, is take your email first tomorrow. You'll be the first up um, as soon as we go to the the emails. Um, I will take yours first and read the whole thing through. God bless you, everyone. I, I beg you to have, I beg you, I urge you, I pray for you, but beg you to have a blessed and holy Advent, really preparing through fasting, through prayer, through reparation for the coming of our Lord in Bethlehem. God bless you. We'll speak with you tomorrow. Mm-hmm.